0: You're listening to The Underground Podcast, a platform to inspire, encourage, and stir up kingdom mission. Our aim is to resource you the listener with discussions that empower your calling to follow Jesus in every unique context of life. On today's episode, Brian and I are joined by Deborah Hirsch. Deb has been in ministry for the past 20 years. She is a church leader, a speaker, and the author of Redeeming Sex. First, thanks so much for being with us, Deb. We're really excited. I'm personally a huge fan of yours. Uh, You're a huge role model for me just because I'm working in the LGBT community and really trying to love on those. And I think your perspective has been really powerful for for me and just for those that I know. so if I could be honest, I probably want to be you when I grow up. But, you know, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, your book, Redeeming Sex, has been out for about two years now. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you've been traveling a lot, um, speaking in different places on the topics in, the, in your book. And I um, really believe that that kind of gives you a unique perspective to the Western church and to how they're receiving and responding to your material. And so what we wanted to ask is... Um, As you've seen in your experience, what is the climate right now towards your ideas? How have people reacted and responded to them?
1: Well, I think uh, in an overall sense, it's been uh, received remarkably well. Um, You know, in some ways, I was quite surprised about that. Uh, You know, any type of book on sexuality, let alone one that deals with LGBT uh, conversation, is a tricky book to navigate. It's a tricky conversation, so... You know, which is why it took me so long (laughs) to write the book Mm -hmm. because I was rewording paragraphs, and you know, you you want to say what you need to say, but but there's a certain level of nuance that needs to be had with these conversations uh, that that take a while because once things are in print, they're Mm -hmm. in print. (laughs) Um, So I have been quite. surprised in many ways by the uh, positive review and but but also you know knowing because I'm pitching it right in the middle in a sense um, knowing that those on the the more extreme left and the extreme right are are going to have some things to say and which is what has happened Um, one of the surprises with that is actually I've had more criticism from the right than Mm. I have from the left Mm. uh, which kind of threw me a little bit because Theologically speaking, I stand, you know, right. uh, not that I stand culturally with the right, <laughs> but certainly theologically, um, I still maintain a traditional sexual ethic. So that surprised me, and I think uh, why there was a response from the right in that sense is I think because I, I speak too much about grace, hmm. and I'm, I'm not sure in a general sense that Christians really know what to do with grace <laughs> in hmm. some ways, and um, and being that I I've come to believe that s- sexuality, I'm not sure ever in the history of the church that it's something that we've actually given grace towards. Um, I think it's probably the least graced aspect of our humanity. Um, so I'm all about bringing grace back into sexuality, um, and I think some people struggle with that.
2: Mm-hmm. Why? Why do you think? What's the What's the barrier there? What's the
1: I, I'm not sure, Brian. I think part of it is, you know, having... Um, let me say it maybe this way. What I feel like I'm coming up against when I get criticisms more from the more conservative uh, portions of the church is, you know, I think when we... You know, a lot of our sexual ethics, not not all of them, of course, but a lot of our sexual ethics from the New Testament perspective, we get from Paul. Mm. And if you, if you read Paul just as Paul... Um, without taking the whole picture into context, there can be some stuff that sounds quite harsh. And, you know, this is why people get the idea of, you know, Paul's a sexist and Paul's a homophobe. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that gets thrown at Paul, which I find difficult because I quite love Paul. <laughs> it's like <laughs> right. the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think what it is is, you know, we get a lot of our ethics from Paul, but if we do not um, understand our ethics and uh, particularly sexual ethics... Um, divorced of the posture of Jesus, then we get into trouble. And I, you know, and I don't want to say that necessarily of people, but I think we've we've neglected to adopt the posture of Jesus. And, and when I look at uh, when Jesus encounters people that are um, what we might call broken or a little bit messed up in their sexuality, there's only a couple of examples of that. Um, we get a remarkably gentle, remarkably graceful posture there. Um, so I say to people, you know, yes, Reef, of course, Paul is Paul, um, and and you know, Alan always says Paul would be appalled if we didn't <laughs> point back to Jesus, <laughs> you know. But and it's true, you mm. know, we we read Paul, but it must be with the posture of Christ, um, and that is the graceful posture. Uh, that doesn't mean that you know Jesus can't say it as it is. Of course, it's Jesus. But um, we can't separate the two. We need to bring them together and I think we can learn by looking again and again and again at, at Jesus and the way he engaged with people.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious too, in, in just in traveling or working with churches, talking to Christians across this country, do you think there was sort of a, a, a void in the conversation? It feels like, I mean, some people are trying to address the issue, but it did feel, at least to me in reading your book, like you were you were giving voice to a position which was previously unheld or unarticulated and it it was it was a relief i think to many people because we're not talking about it the way we should or with the same sort of vigor that we would with other culturally important topics i mean one could argue that the the question particularly of homosexuality facing the church right now is one of the most difficult, hottest, most important theological questions that we can have. And yet we're not really having, we're just more like separating into groups that hold certain positions Mm -hmm. and then we don't talk and we agree not to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what that was like to sort of wade into that. Was it just just people didn't have ideas and they're waiting for you to help them formulate a third way or were they, you know, contentious but open? I mean, what... what,
1: I think I've, I hear, you know, in different places that the whole concept of a third way, and I think I think you're right, and I think it is important to name that uh, in that way because, well, well, first of all, let me just take a step back. Uh, if you again look at church history, we've we've never dealt with the issue of sexuality well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so i think there is that historically we've not navigated it we've we've not known or understood how does our sexuality fit into our spirituality and all that kind of stuff i mean you only have to even going back to the early church fathers you see some crazy ideas there um, but again they're just people like us trying to work it all out um, so i think you know our history works against us in that sense and so i think um, you know and while i think there has been some good theology developed it's what I see is that there seems to be this gap between, you know, you've got some of the more high theology, if you sure. like, yeah. that is not as accessible to many people. Okay. And then you have the kind of the dating books or the how to... You know, <laughs> Sex which, dating and singleness. <laughs> yes, yeah, all that kind of stuff that's, you tends to be targeted to the younger generation because, of course, that's when the hormones are all pumping around and we have to get them <laughs> sorted out. Like, you know. um, so there's not this kind of bringing some of the theology with the... The, the experience of the everyday together. It's just kind of one extreme or the other. And um, so I was trying to bridge a little bit of a gap there, which is not that easy to do, I discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, uh, so I think in that sense, you know one of the most consistent uh, comments that I heard uh, from people after reading the book was, oh my gosh, it's so refreshing. Somebody's able to just talk about it as it is and just use language that makes sense. So I think, um, I think people were hungry for that and, and hungry to move beyond some of the uh, simplistic answers and the simplistic boundaries that we just put in. And, and I've really come to see that in the church, particularly, in a, not specifically, but, just, but particularly um, related to sexuality, that a lot of the boundaries that we have set up are shortcuts, they just, we put them in because we don't want to do the hard work of having to navigate our own sexuality and learning about what is going on inside of us and learning about our motivations and our desires and our longings, It's that's too much hard work. Mm. So we put in all these boundaries like, you know, the classic with cross-sex relationships or, you know, mm. you can't get into a lift with a the person mm. of the opposite mm. sex or in a car or I mean, you know, in the old days, it was called the Billy Graham Billy Ten Graham, Commandments, yeah. you yeah. know. And now I don't want to go against Billy Graham. Like, let's yeah, never do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and they might have been all right for Billy Graham. Sure. You know, he had a very unique, remarkable ministry, um, so he had to, you know, set up that. But it's.
2: Well, he existed in a time, too, and maybe it was appropriate.
1: Exactly right, Brian. Mm -hmm. It was a different time, Mm -hmm. and and I get very frustrated when people continue to perpetuate those boundaries without thinking through what they are actually doing. Um, Because humans. We we've got to navigate relationships with one another. How do we? How can we have any meaningful friendships or relationships with the opposite sex if we can't hang out with them? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess for me, part of you know, my, I live and hang out with a lot of men. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just, you know, the world of the church is full of men, and I've worked in the church for my you know my whole Christian life. So, I can say some of my best mates are men, and. We travel in cars together. We do, we do all sorts of things together, and and that doesn't mean that sometimes attractions don't come up. But you work that out, mm. and you know if you're a married person, you're married, and that your covenant is with your your spouse. So mm. you you talk with your spouse, and you know. So Alan and I have always navigated our mm. our marriage like that. We're very open and honest because we know this. We're not going anywhere. Mm. Um, but if we navigate friendships and that, of course, we're human. There are certain people we're drawn to but i think in you know in this bigger sexuality conversation one of the things that we've forgotten is that we can feel deeply for other people that doesn't mean it's going to lead to sex mm-hmm. and you know all these artificial boundaries we we're, we're thinking and that's more freudian thinking than it is mm-hmm. christian <laughs> sure yeah. You know, so yeah, it's well, it's yeah. interesting. It, it
2: strikes me too that a lot of what you're saying is rooted in fear. The the fear we have to talk about it, the fear we have to come to conclusions, the fear of something bad happening. So, it's maybe the the immature uh, response to fear is to just I want to stay away from it. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to just I'll never talk to a woman, or I'll never be in a situation where I'm with someone of the opposite gender because yep. i'm just so afraid.
1: Yes. And people
2: are afraid to talk about it, they're afraid to preach about it. Yes. They're afraid to think about it. And maybe even to some degree you writing the book, you felt a little bit of tension like, man, i don't i have to do this right, you know, i have to yeah. get i people are they're they're wound up about this.
1: <laughs> well, you, i mean you've nailed it. I think there's a lot of fear when it comes to sexuality, which ought to kind of concern us on on multiple mm-hmm. levels. We're we're not meant to be people motivated by fear but by love and by grace. So, but, but you're right, it really is there's a, there's a lot of fear and we've got to get beyond that. Um, and that requires a lot of hard work and I think, you know, not a lot of us are up for that. <laughs> well,
2: it's part of what strikes me about you is that you don't seem so afraid of it. <laughs> and even the way you're, you're sort of writing about it and even today just talking to us about it, there's, there's a kind of liberation from mm-hmm. the fear of it. Mm-hmm. And when, when, you're, when you are free of that, you can apply maybe Jesus' overall ethic about sin to just another thing that human beings may do wrong sometimes. that's exactly right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think you you mentioned that a little bit in your book, how people are really afraid to even touch the topic of homosexuality or sexual brokenness, how they perceive it, because they're really afraid that they don't want it to rub off on them or they don't want to go into that. And so I think that what you're saying is really powerful that if we're less afraid, we can deal with it and care for those who are struggling with that. Um, so the other question I wanted to ask you is, you know, if you could really speak to a captive missional audience and give them some input on how they can really move forward in these issues, how they can deal with it with themselves mm-hmm. and with those in outside of the church, that um, you know, everyone's dealing with their sexuality, that's what we all have in common, right? Yes. If you could talk to a captive missional audience, um, you know, that wouldn't give any pushback, what would you say to them? How could you encourage them?
1: Well, first of all, don't freak out, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Mm. Um, this is just a normal part of who we are as humans, it's a no- normal part of life. I think, um, you know, in the just what you're saying there, and it. To remember that it's it's not a conversation about those people over there or mm-hmm. you know not let's not pick on the sexual minorities mm-hmm. if you for one of a better term um, but it is about all of us it's an inclusive mm. conversation that we all need to That's have um, because we're all profoundly sexual right. and at the same time we're all profoundly broken so I mm. think it's it's you know important that we kind of put that uh, on the table because I think. It's, sometimes I get a group of people that are coming and they want to learn about the LGBT community right. and how do we navigate the conversation. And what I have come to do now, <laughs> what I've come to do now is say that I call that a micro conversation. Mm. And I say to people, when I call it micro, that's not that it's unimportant. It's profoundly important. It's like what you said, Brian. It's one of the conversations for today. But we've got to put it back into the context of the macro conversation of human sexuality for multiple reasons. And one being that then it puts all of us into the conversation. It's not about them. It's about all of us. We're all sexual and we're all broken. Um, And when Christians, you know, kind of just think the LGBT community, you know, I mean, brokenness... When you put bro- attach brokenness there, that's very offensive right. to LGBT people. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say to people, well, let's have the bigger conversation because at the end of the day, most of us are unformed and ill-informed when it comes to our own sexuality. Right. So so I say, start there, you know, um, and, then, and then from there move into how do we all navigate this? How do we kind of, you know, walk into some of... The health and 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 wholesomeness that God has got for us, mm. um, in this. So so then it doesn't become about an orientation issue. Mm-hmm. It becomes about you know it's a much bigger conversation at that point. Um,
2: yeah, I know you you mentioned in your book, but that, you know just the idea that even something like homosexuality is more of a continuum than it is sort of binary categories yeah. like you're gay or you aren't gay. When the truth is, you know people that are that are died in the wool heterosexual can still have homosexual temptations or feelings and yeah. people that are identify as gay also sometimes are attracted to people yeah. of the opposite gender so mm-hmm. realizing that human beings aren't in these these sort of no. binary categories yes. and breaking down our we're all tempted away from God's design for us in some way and sexuality's part of that
1: yes yep
2: and so we're all in this mess, this sort of struggle. And mm-hmm. Some of us struggle more consistently with one sort of temptation. Yes. And then maybe we label that, and then we create this, this right. division between us. And yep. that does seem like something that until we break that down,
1: mm-hmm.
2: we're not going to get anywhere in mission. So we're, we're thinking about our people yeah. and what they're, like, they're ready to go, and they're ready to say, look, we want to love every kind of person. Yeah. And we want to see... The gospel delivered to them in a language that they can understand and with a posture that they can mm-hmm. respect mm-hmm. but I still think they're they've inherited um, a adversarial system
1: right. toward
2: yeah. those people yes and to some degree they've inherited some hostility from that community towards us yes. right so they don't want to Talk to us. They don't want to interact with us because they assume we're gonna take that kind of aggressive, hostile posture towards them. And so, I mean, just is there a word or a piece of advice or something? How do we? Do we just need to pray? Do we need to? What? What? What can we do to be a part of maybe the next wave of Christians that break that down somehow, Mm. or or build some? I wouldn't even say bridge. Just sort of open our lives more to.
1: Yeah, well, I think you're right. There's a, a terrible history between, between the two communities, mm-hmm. um, which is just so unfortunate. I mean, it's just awful. I think, you know, just on a personal level, when we're, you know, building relationships, you know what, an apology never goes astray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. You know, I think I'm constantly, well, not maybe constantly, not as much anymore, but certainly, uh, you know, for a number of years, there was a season where I felt responsible to, to say sorry on behalf of the church. Mm. Uh, because we haven't handled people, it, again, people that are different, people that are not like us, right. you know, and again, this, is, this moves beyond sexuality. We don't know how to relate to the other. <laughs> yep. Look at, again, look at society today. Um, and so I think we need to understand that we are profoundly alienated from people that are not like us. So recognising that is always a helpful thing. Uh, and it helps to alleviate some of the fear we might feel or some of the... You know, we can, we even get visceral responses, mm, yeah. you know, uh, about people that are different or, you know, that have different uh, ways of living or expressing their sexuality. Um, so I think um, acknowledging that is good, recognising that we all have biases and prejudices. Um, you know, there's no such thing as a prejudiced less person. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so recognising that and saying, OK, well, I don't want to be like that. I want to move beyond that. And, um, and in, to, in order to engage in relationships, we all have to do a little bit of cross-cultural, <laughs> in a sense, yeah. um, with any person. Um, so I think... But, but I do think on behalf of the church in that sense, we, we, you know, apology is important, and I think it's often very, very well received. Um, sometimes we want to argue our position. Christians are very good at arguing their position, and, you know, we get out at this is our doctrine and this is all the rest of it. So, our, you know, our posture can do with a lot of shifting... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need to, and again, the posture of Jesus is, is very helpful for us there. And I think we need to move from a posture of arrogance <laughs> to one of love. Um, and you know, just just approach people differently. you know, and remember that we're all human. <laughs> we're all made of the same stuff. Right. We all have a heart that breaks. We're, you know, we're, we're people that long for relationships and connection. Um, Everybody is like that you know nobody is different just because they might express their sexuality in a different way or a way that we don't necessarily at times feel comfortable with. Mm. Um, People just want to be loved and I think when we begin to realize that that person there is just like me on the inside um, you know it it removes that kind of oh you know we we paint people as so different Mm. and they're Mm. not. They might look different, they might behave differently but we're made of the same stuff yeah. so we've got to get rid of that gap um mm. and and just do a lot more harder work on our, the way we relate and you know what it is to love and i don't mean love in a soppy sentimental way <laughs> i mean hardcore love right. <laughs> that costs us um and that means we have to do that extra work of getting beyond some of the fears and getting beyond and dealing with some of our biases and prejudices. Um, and why we might put, you know, going back to the sexuality, why we might put certain sins above other sins, mm-hmm. like what's that about? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's always kind of made me scratch my head. Like, why are sexual, you know, our sexual behaviours, and when we when we cross boundaries, why are those sins any higher than the others? And and I think um, I think partly again, it's reading Paul, and Paul talks about. When we sin with our bodies, uh, you know, when we sin with our sexuality, it has a different uh, impact upon us. We carry something inside, it impacts us internally. And so I think he, he separates those sins out as having a different consequence upon us. And I think what we've done is we've thought, well, they're higher then. Right. Um, but actually they're the ones that do damage us and dis- distort who we are. Um, which means in my mind they're the ones that need more grace. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we've kind of mixed up something there. Um, And and again, go back to Jesus and we look at, um, you know, I'm always saying to people, read your Gospels again and again. Mm And I always look, what's the priority and the posture of Jesus? In all the stories and the encounters he's having, what's his posture and what's the priority that he's after there? and often find mine are very different (laughs) Um, and you know Jesus calling of sin you know again with the sexuality stuff you don't see that in the same way that you see it in the church today you know he's he's looking at issues of judgment and hypocrisy and certainly the one thing that he says is going to compete with God more than anything is uh, money Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is really I think the blind spot of the church in the west. Yeah, we, You know, we, we never, you know, our, I always say the first thing in our discipleship with any person, we're wanting to get their sexuality fixed up, mm. make sure that's all right. And, um, you know, we're never asking, what are you doing with your money and your resources and how are you looking after the poor? And, yeah. you know, I could talk about that all day.
2: <laughs> and it's, in, it's, you know, it's in Paul's list in, in of of things, people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so if you want to use that for homosexuality, will you also use it for the greedy, which is right right there in the same (laughs) clause with the other one that says greedy. So there is almost like part of what I'm learning from you is just this kind of like democratization of sin and and our participation in the world of fallenness. Like us as Christians not hiding our sexual brokenness and then exaggerating their sexual yeah. brokenness. It's a good way of
1: saying it. You yeah. know, but just
2: uh, stepping back into the human race, like you're mm-hmm. saying, and being more honest, and maybe even beginning, like you said, with repentance. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry, uh, yeah. and, and actually, my and you, you're saying we have to deal with our own biases, our own prejudices, mm-hmm. which yeah. also requires repentance, mm-hmm. yes, to say, does. Lord, mm-hmm. forgive me for judging those mm-hmm. people yep. um, whom you love, who mm-hmm. you died for. Mm-hmm. who who. Who may well
1: be sinning? Yes, Yes. as I sin. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So,
2: it's not like we have to. We're we're not condemning ourselves because we love people that are sinful. Yeah, Yeah. we're not taking on their sins somehow. But sexuality feels like that's what's happening, or we're led to believe that that's what's happening, but it isn't. So,
1: no, it's very true. Yeah. I
0: just had one other question that um, I think for for me is kind of personal. I just would love to hear your take on it. But as someone who has a history of same sex attraction and who is trying to live out a biblical ethic in that, and who also has a ton of friends who are gay or who are trans or who are in that mm-hmm. community, um, I guess what I really wrestle with is just the idea of. I think in your book you you said you know extend grace before theology and mm-hmm. that idea of of grace but truth and and love and truth need to kind of be together how do you hold that intention um of really loving people wholeheartedly accepting them for who they are but also feeling this um you know conviction or this um, need to love people
1: and also extend truth to them well i think the word tension says Mm -hmm. a lot doesn't it Mm -hmm. when we hold something in tension we feel tension yeah it's, it's an uncomfortable place for us to sit and I think that's why we don't do it well. We, we opt either way because sitting with tension is, is not... Um, we can do it for very short periods, <laughs> but over an extended period it's, it's mm. very difficult actually. Um, I think one of the things I find myself saying again and again, particularly actually with pastors in particular, but, but certainly generally across the board... Um, because pastors are, you know, they've got their theology sorted out, you know, and so they know what they think. And So I say to them, don't lead with your theology. If you hold a conservative theology uh, related to the LGBT community or homosexuality in particular, if you have a conservative theology, don't lead with your theology. Lead with your embrace. And, um, and I, um, I was talking about this in a workshop once and I had a friend that came into the workshop with me. And she said to me at the end of it, she said, you know what, Debbie? She said, you're exactly right. And she said, but we have to remember that embrace is theology Mm. because that's what Jesus gave us. While we were yet in the midst of our mess, Christ died for us. That is embrace right there. And so that is a theological concept Mm. uh, modelled by Jesus. Um, but what we do is when we get you know, when we dot our theological I's and cross our theological T's, we kinda of feel like well we know what we think and we know what we think is right and wrong and and we lead with that and when we lead with that it, it actually it becomes a thing between the relationship. It's like this thing sitting there between us. So I say, put that to the back. <laughs> don't don't you know, because pastors are like, Well, if I have a gay couple coming to my church, they feel like the most important thing they need to tell them is, Oh, well, we don't think what you're doing is what God wants. You know, they feel they've got to say that as the first thing so that everyone knows where everyone stands. Um, and so I say to pastors, surprise people. Mm, Don't yeah. lead or start it's with that. Love them. Just love them. Those conversations will take place, but they might be down the track. Right. You know, and why do we have to, you know... And again, this goes back to the bigger conversation of sexuality in, in terms of... Um, why do we in the church feel like the prime thing we have to do with every person is to regulate their sexuality? How has that become the most important thing? So I'm constantly saying the most important thing that a pastor can... Well, all of us, actually. It's kind of our all of our biblical mandate is to make disciples, is to help people grow closer and closer to Jesus, to look more and more like Christ. That's our prime role. Mm. Um, and, yes, the... Ethics and and morality and and as we grow as disciples, all of that is part of that, and that includes our sexuality, but it also includes what we're doing with our resources, how we're serving the poor, and looking after um, you know people that we wouldn't ordinarily, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a it's a big package. Yeah. <laughs> Discipleship is a big package, and we've narrowed it down to a few things, which is usually personal morality, you know. But but there's a social morality <laughs> that we need to be looking at as well. So. So when I talk like that, pastors, sometimes are like, oh, yeah, we do spend an inordinate amount of time. Right. Um, which is just... So I think we've locked ourselves into these patterns and ways of doing things. And, and when we take a step back and think, oh, and get perspective, that's the other thing. Mm. We've got to get a whole lot more perspective. Mm. Um, you know, if, we want to call in, if we're going to call out... I mean, yes, call out, sin, but be consistent in what we're calling out. Uh, in terms of sin, because we do let a lot of sin slide, <laughs> a lot of sin slide, um, and even you know when we start unpacking sexuality, you know, and I, in my book I talk about different, you know, looking at sexuality as social sexuality and genital sexuality, you know, uh, we're always focusing on the genital sexual sins, you know, and and gender we don't even talk about gender, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm I've started kind of challenging people to say, you know, in the church we are still fighting in terms of the gender conversation, we are still fighting over the roles of men and women and broader culture is redefining what it is to be man and woman right. and we are so yeah. far behind mm-hmm. yeah. that it's quite disturbing actually. So again, perspective, big picture, why are we just focused on this right here when there's so much more that we need to be talking about?
2: Yeah, and I, I would just add to Leanne, like the, I don't know, the, the presumption that, I need, to, I need to have truth and love at all times. And so my way of demonstrating my commitment to truth is to say you're sinning in your sexuality. Yes. And yet, how is that the singular representation of my commitment to truth when I meet someone? <laughs> uh, isn't it also true, for example, that they are deeply loved by God? Isn't it also, for example, completely true that Jesus bled and died on a cross for them and their brokenness and their sin. Uh, can't I say that also? And it, doesn't that count as <laughs> yeah. my commitment to truth? So I'm going to say truth. Or saying something like they were, they're were, they made in the image of God and carry with them an extraordinary dignity which they may not know about. Yeah. That's also true. Mm-hmm. So I'm. it frustrates me to feel like, oh, I'm committed to truth. And what that means is I'm going to tell you the very worst thing I can think to tell you. That proves that I'm committed to truth. And yet... There are many things that are true mm. which you may or may not know. Yeah. The fact that maybe some of your sexual choices are, are not desirable in the eyes of God or not a part of the design that he has for you or maybe even our sin, the Bible categorizes sin. How is that the only representation right. of my commitment to truth in this person? Right. So, yes, love and truth all the time from day right. one. But there are many things which are true which are, affirming, which are liberating, yeah. which are inviting people right. deeper into the, the, the relationship with wonderful. Jesus and discipleship. Mm-hmm.
1: No, that's a wonderful answer, Brian. That was mm-hmm. really good. Mm.
0: Thank you so much, Deb, for being here. Um, and really, really appreciate you and just your heart and um, for this. Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been mm-hmm. great. Cool. <laughs>
0: This was episode two of the underground podcast. Thank you for listening. You can catch all of our episodes on iTunes or on our website at tampaundergroundcom podcast. And be sure to stay up to date with us by following us on Twitter at underground box. Next time we'll have a special guest with us here in the studio. We'll be interviewing Hugh Halter. So be sure to stay tuned for that.